so quick introduction for someone that may uh, certainly not need one for you all. Um, Tim is the prolific author of The 4-Hour Workweek, 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Chef. I know a lot of you. I'm the co-founder of DocStock. Uh, and we're just going to hang out and talk about all the cool things that you do. For those of you that haven't had a chance to meet Tim or talk with him, uh, more than his books, he's really just the most prolific at the forefront person, I would say today, of understanding human potential and the most that you can do with your body, with your mind. And certainly that's a topic for all of us who are hard driving in terms of building companies uh, and in the tech space that we care a lot about. And so welcome. And uh, really you. just to kind of start off, uh, were you always a crazy madman or did that develop <laughs> later on in life? I think that there's probably always been a certain degree of lunacy hidden somewhere in this head, but the self-experimentation and all that obsessive tracking and so on didn't really begin to get developed until I was thrown into wrestling, kitty wrestling as a little hyperactive kid. My mom realized that was a great way to tire me out so I wouldn't destroy the house when I got home. And when I started competing very seriously in high school at a national level at one point, I became very good at cutting weight. And to cut weight, meaning losing 25 to 30 pounds in a 24-hour period and then rehydrating to compete. Wait, say that again. So if you are, and this is very common in any weight class-based sport at a high level, whether it be Olympic weightlifting or, or rowing, for instance, boxing, uh, people get very good at cutting weight to make a certain weight class cutoff point. UFC, same story. So I would get very good at tracking my intake of things like sodium, potassium, and so on to lose 20 to 30 pounds over 24 hours to weigh in and then rehydrate in, say, an 8 to 12-hour period. But to do that without having organs fail or dying is somewhat important if you want to com compete. So I had to become very familiar with how the kidneys worked and so on and so forth. And that is really where all of the, how, when I realized how significant, you, the, the expression say from Peter Drucker, at the time I didn't know Peter Drucker, but you know, what gets measured gets managed. Well, some people say it's misattributed, but that applies to the human body. It applies to mental performance. It applies to everything, not just your KPIs for your startup. And I was not a supremely gifted wrestler from a technical standpoint, but I was so much better at tracking and trending that I, I was able to brute force my way up to All-American in my sort of, uh, you know, my, my particular league, and which was surprising to everyone, including me. And I've sort of carried that forward and applied it to all sorts of absurd things. What's your, what's your vision of how, I mean, you're kind of like the modern day, like nice version of Frederick Nietzsche, like creating the Superman. <laughs> what's your vision of, how, like when you look back on your life, it, What's the most, what's the farthest you think that you can help people push human potential? And is there one specific area? I mean, you've, you've literally tested everything on your own body, your own, your own human guinea pig. If you want to leave people with the ability to really maximize their potential in one way, how would you encapsulate that? Teaching them to ask absurd questions. And this is, this is not necessarily new, but I think that the absurd is a, is a very important uh, adjective. And Can you really quickly just give folks here that may not know, just a quick like bullet points of two or three of the, some of the insane things that you've done to your own body and mind to, to push the limits, because I think people yeah, don't yeah, fully understand. Yeah, I can give a couple of quick examples. So one would be going from, uh, and these are not attribute dependent. So you need to, when you're studying top performers of any type or outliers, 
you want to try to distinguish between success that is derived from attributes, you know, God-given DNA-born attributes, like Michael Phelps' ankle flexibility and all of that, although there's a lot of training that goes into it, and technique-based success. So a uh, couple of things that I did despite not being very well built for them. Uh, so Tango, this is a long time ago, went from first class to semifinalists in the world championships in about five and a half months. Um, all based on using video feedback like an athlete, which tango dancers don't do, among other things. Um, and I also lost about 40 pounds to transform my physique to a point where it was easier technically to do a lot because I'm built like a monkey. I mean, <laughs> like a caveman. I'm good for lifting rocks and about nothing else. So I had to change my physique to, to fit that role. Uh, other things, just as a more acute example, uh, for the four-hour body, met with David Blaine and was able to improve my max breath hold time from about 45 seconds to three minutes and 33 seconds. And that took 15 minutes of training. Is that safe? No. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that. It can be safe if done outside of water. Is it something I recommend to you guys unless you want to feel like you've been kicked in the head by a donkey for two days? No. Uh, but it, it shows you how much potential is there. Is there anything you won't do? Have you ever thought of an idea? You're like, you know what, that one's just Wing too... Wingsuit. Wingsuit. Yeah, I was considering doing, uh, it looks like a flying squirrel, human beings. Occasionally somebody will hit the side of a bridge and kill themselves or something, clip a rock. That, the margin of safety isn't there. Uh, so whether I'm looking at investments or experiments of extreme physical, of an extreme physical nature, they might look suicidal from the outside, but I'm always looking for that margin of safety. Uh, and for those people who want to look outside of the venture capital community, um, I think value investing, Seth Klarman is a very well-known uh, hedge fund manager, uh, the concept of margin of safety, and Warren Buffett talks about this as well, is one that I think can, apply, can be applied to many different areas of life. Yeah. For the wingsuit, the margin is too small for me to be comfortable. It's like trying to create a huge business with a 1% profit margin. I mean, depending on the business, um, of course, but for most, one slight left turn when you should have taken a right and you've yeah. got a business. So. Let's get a sense of the audience. Uh, raise your hand if you've read or part of at least one of Tim's books. All right, so you've probably got about half the audience here that's familiar with your stuff. Um, you have, we have a lot of leaders here in both entertainment and tech and in, in, in venture capital. What advice would you give the audience to, on, on how to improve their performance overall, their business performance? You talked about ask absurd questions, but if you were one-on-one -on -one coaching the folks here, <coughs> yeah. what's the key things you would focus on? Well, let me, let me ex just elaborate on that for a second Please. because it, in the generalities, it's not very helpful. So Peter Thiel would ask, I interviewed Peter not too long ago for my podcast, and he, he's very fond of asking questions like, and this is in his book as well, uh, why, can't you, why can't you reach your 10-year plan in six months? So for most people, that's an absurd question. Uh, or Peter Diamandis, chairman of XPRIZE. You know, instead of improving something in your life 10%, why can't you improve it 10x? If you had to improve it 10x, what would you do? If you had a gun against your head and had to work two hours per week because you had, say, great question. You know, metastasizing cancer, uh, if you had to work two hours a week, how would you allocate that time? These are questions that are very helpful thought exercises for improving systems thinking so that you're not constantly putting out fires. So you do, whatever you do today saves you twice as much, 10 times as much, 100 as much times as much uh, in terms of hours over the next you know, subsequent week. 
month, year, et cetera. So having that kind of long-term systems thinking. Uh, on the improving performance across the board, it's very simple. Protect the asset. So this, without your vehicle uh, in top performance uh, condition, everything else will suffer. And what I mean by that is most people here in this audience, <clears throat> all right, so let's, let's see here. In the world of Uber, it's slightly different, but how many people here own cars? Okay, so how many people have had, let's see, had two oil changes that they've paid for or two maintenance uh, calls of any type that they've taken care of for their cars? Okay, how many of the same people have had two blood tests in the last 12 months? Okay, so that's a problem, right? It's about 5%. So you're taking better care and putting more money into your car from a tracking standpoint and trending standpoint than your own body. This what if you have like a really nice car? <laughs> Does that make a difference if the ratio's off? No, not so much. Okay. So I would right. just say, you know, this, this is your Lamborghini. It's the only one that you're going to get. And uh, you, the, the sort of Cartesian separation of mind and body, although I'm cheating a little bit on that interpretation, but mind and body, they're the same. The brain is an organ, just like your skin, for instance, just like your liver. And by doing things that improve your so-called physical performance, you can improve cognitive performance very substantially. And that includes using very uh, run-of-the-mill supplements for off-label purposes. For instance, creatine monohydrate has been very widely studied. It's been used for decades in sports performance primarily for short duration athletic events like throwers, sprinters, et cetera. But creatine is, uh, and not a doctor, don't play one on the internet, but is, is I think, shows some very promising signs, and you can search on PubMed for this, for staving off the onset or the symptoms of conditions, neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, et cetera. And uh, in fact, side note, a lot of vegetarian, there have been studies that show when vegetarians consume uh, five grams of creatine per day that their IQ actually goes up substantially. Now, that gets into a dietary discussion, which is separate, but the point being, with a commodity supplement that you can buy at any health food store, month supply for less than $30, uh, you have a very good shot at improving not only physical performance, men mental performance, and longevity at five grams a day. So that's worth investigating. You don't have to go to say, look at the cutting edge, bleeding edge approaches of using immunosuppressant rapamycin to extend lifespan hypothetically with unknown side effects to a large extent. You don't have to, I, I like off-label uses of dull edge technologies. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, so I would just say <clears throat> focus on diet 90%, exercise 10%. Uh, Bes besides yeah. diet and exercise, is there, is there any one area that you'd say really to focus on to un unlock your human potential? Are there any mental exercises that you do or you see really successful people do? <clears throat> there, there are quite a few. Uh, I would say have a scripted, the first hour or two of each morning should be scripted. You, sh you should be like a robot running on an algorithm to optimize for those first two hours so that the rest of the day. What's your first two hours of the day? What, is, what do you do for the first two hours of every day? Uh, I'll, I'll answer that. The reason, just to take a, side, to take a step back, is that you want to be proact proactive 
in pursuing your own priorities as opposed to reactive responding to everyone else's schedule for your time, i.e. inbox, for instance. And uh, secondly, you want to minimize decision fatigue in those first two hours so that you can allocate those, the, the limited number of calories and hit points that you have for decisions later in the day. Otherwise, you'll, have very, you'll make very poor decisions toward the, towards the tail end of the day. Uh, my first two hours, generally speaking, uh, look like waking up ideally around 7 or 7.30, although a notorious night owl, but I've been trying to wake up, say, 7 o'clock. I wake up, brush my teeth, put the kettle on, sit down, transcendental meditation for 15 to 20 minutes, uh, get up, depending on what I'm doing at the time, I might have take a number of supplements that are best absorbed on an empty stomach, do that first, or inject stuff, who knows? Depends on how crazy I'm getting. <laughs> uh, nothing recreational, but uh, I have, I've You seen, inject yourself in the mornings. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I, I have ligament damage right now from Lyme disease, so I'm taking aggressive steps to correct that problem. Uh, so I would do that, and then, I'll have tea right now. My tea is, you asked, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll just get detailed because people sometimes like the details. Aged pu'er tea, it's black, black tea from China, plus ginger and turmeric, plus a small amount of green tea, plus uh, lemon, fresh squeezed lemon juice, usually Meyer lemon. Then I will sit down and I will journal uh, for five to 15 minutes uh, to clarify my uh, three, three things I'm grateful for, and then my priorities, my key one to three priorities for the day. And I'll do a review at the end of the day, uh, five minutes before going to bed as well. So I'll write. And then after this period of writing, for me right now, uh, I want to focus on some type of content production. So that's a very mundane way to say writing, for the most part, or podcast production, where I am synthesizing and in a creative flow um, until about noon or one o'clock, at which point I'll go for a long walk making phone calls. This is in San Francisco normally, uh, and then have lunch. So, so I want so to jump into yeah. one thing you said, because I think this is a bane of a lot of our existence. Um, you know, in the past, when I've emailed you, you always get this classic autoresponder, hey, Tim gets thousands of emails, da da da. Mm -hmm. How do you handle email? How many, because I think everybody here will say we're all inundated with email. How many times a day? Do you go on email for how long and for how long? Uh, really depends on how much Ebola is in the audience. No, it's just, uh, it really depends on uh, depends on how I'm prioritizing my project. But uh, the the general answer is that I will typically check email uh, right now once once or twice per day in the afternoons. I do not have email notifications set up on my phone, so I do not have mail set up on my phone, deliberate, very deliberately. And, and have you ever felt from a business standpoint that, the, that, you've lost any, that you've ever lost any opportunity for not having the urgency of a turnaround time? Millions of dollars, hours? and it's totally worth it. Yeah. You, so you do feel you've lost millions of dollars? Absolutely, about. but as a gross, uh, but I've made tens of millions of dollars by protecting extended periods of time so I can focus. And being reactive 24-7 on email negates your quality of life. And ultimately, for me, investing has to be allocating resources to improve quality of life of yourself or the people that you love. Therefore, 
If, for instance, you have a great stock, you're holding on to Amazon, Tesla, whatever it is, but you're not well suited to the public markets and you're anxious all day long, even if you gain 30, 50, 200% on that and sell it two, three years later, it's not worth the, the emotional and psychological cost. I'd love, to, I'd love to just, you know, friendly banter, challenge us and push back a little and ask some questions. Yeah. I, I think maybe a lot of people don't realize how involved in tech you are, how many companies that you've invested in or advise. Yeah. Facebook, stumble upon Uber, Twitter, Twitter Evernote. Evernote, Shopify. Yeah, I was the first advisor to, pretty, yeah, Evernote, Shopify, Duolingo, Series A. Um, so a, a whole bunch. So yeah. you're working with the kind of companies that many of us aspire to be or to invest in. You know, you you are your own product. You are your own brand, and, and you've made your brand about human potential. And so you can push back. If you are a, a GM, a, you are know, a senior vice president at Twitter or Uber, and you only go on email once a day, can do you really believe that you can be as effective when you go in and work with these companies or advise mm -hmm. them? Do you think that they're better? that they're better operators for being on email so little? Well, I th so I would say that the, if you look at, say, the four-hour work week, it's really a collection of, of questions and principles that you can apply. The, the email autoresponder and email is something that people like to talk about, of course, because it's such a pain point. But it's, the, it's not, I would never say that in every business you should only check email once a day. It's like you're a lawyer in tech and you check email once a day, you're toast, unless you design your firm from the outset so you have different metrics and expectations with your clients. And I know people who have done that. Uh, you know, people who are paid, who are like the best at what they do, who get paid ridiculous retainers by a handful of people. And, they, and they've, they've worked out a schedule so they can have their cake and eat it too. Uh, but when you're dealing with the fastest growing startup of all time, say Uber, uh, the vast majority of people there are going to want to have their pulse on whatever it is they're they have been delegated to, to, to manage and watch, of course. Uh, and, I, and I should clarify also that I've, I have no problem with hard work. I love hard work if it's applied to the right areas. But hard work can also be a dodge and a way to avoid the hard thinking that allows you to determine your priorities, if that makes sense. So yeah. motion and progress are not the same thing. Uh, but these, these startups, I mean, I've uh, been very fortunate to work with these startups. I've been what do you mostly advise them on? When you, when you go into Facebook or Twitter or Uber, what, who, are, who are you talking with specifically and what kind of things are you talking about? Well, I mean, I don't have a day-to-day. -day, uh, I, I don't do much day-to-day -day with Uber at this point. I mean, the flywheel's spinning quite nicely with that company. But there are a few things. So number one, people, many people don't realize, I mean, I've spent millions of dollars of my own money on split testing and online analytics. and and so on. So the first thing I'll focus like on. Like you created software for this or? No, meaning I've done a lot of direct response advertising and CPA stuff, CPM stuff. And was that in your business? The, yeah. This was the nutritional software yeah, business? Yeah, way back in the day. And I've, and I've since done it with many other companies. But the, the basic idea is people come to me for, say, the first 100 to 500,000 users because I'm very good at helping them to strategize how to get to that escape velocity. And, and really, I, I, I think you deserve a lot of the credit for the sharing economy, right? I mean, you talked you know, before this was in vogue with technology yeah. about how you outsource your life, and now all these people are making businesses, getting our lives outsourced. Yeah, I was first advisor to TaskRabbit before they raised money. Uh, and I feel I felt like that was the future. It was something that I would use as a power user. So my investment thesis, <laughs> even calling it a thesis, is so it's such high talk for such a simple concept. But 
I almost always only invest in products that I can be a power user of, that I'm dying to use myself because it fixes some problem I have or scratches an itch that I need to scratch, and that it, that has demonstrated enough traction that I can pour gasoline on a fire that's already started, and that has reasonable terms and pricing, and that's that's it. It's how do you, how do you what do you talk to when you talk about getting your first 500,000 users and really active, engaged users? What stuff do you go into? What principles that you've learned do you help these technology companies apply? Uh, I think that there are a few things. So first is uh, <laughs> there's so much low-hanging fruit for improving conversion on in the world of apps and, and web services. It's astonishing to me. I mean, so when I sit down with a company, the first thing I'll do is, is, is I'll just point out that it makes no sense to drive a lot of traffic until you're capturing a, a, a meaningful amount of that traffic. And so I will go through and I will look at messaging, copy. I mean, I'm good at that stuff. I'm just, I've spent <laughs> more hours than I probably should have in my life sitting trapped in my own head working on wordsmithing and testing it with my audiences. So I can usually get I can usually get Did a, you have a different working title for four hour work week? Was I had like 30 or 40 of them. And then I, I narrowed that down to between six and 10, I don't remember exactly, six to 12. And I created Google AdWords testing where the, I bid on terms that were related to content in the book. Awesome. And the, when people search you know, world travel, for instance, I'm just making that up, but, uh, or around the trip airplane ticket, around the world airplane ticket. And then the, my title would show up as the headline of the ad. The subtitle would show up as the ad text, and then there would be a related URL. When they clicked through, it would just go to an under construction page because I didn't care about what they did on the site. I cared about optimizing so for. You A/B -B tested with Google I AdWords. I A/B tested, and Google AdWords title. itself automatically, not randomized, but mixed and matched. I guess it did randomize the the title and subtitle, so I was able to see very clearly the title and subtitle that ended up being used was by several magnitudes of order, standard deviations, the winner. So that was that. And, uh, and that was when tools like Optimizely or Virtual Website Optimizer weren't available. Uh, but where, where I was going is the first thing is like I'll, I'll immediately try to improve their conversion from like 20 to 80%, which is really not that hard, uh, generally speaking. Then it's a matter of not going after your first 100,000 or 500,000, it's figuring out if you could only have 1,000 true fans, uh, and I love this piece. If, if, you, if any of you haven't read 1,000 True Fans by Kevin Kelly, you should read it. Identifying those 1,000 true fans and uh, by doing that, ensuring that you hone your messaging very, very cleanly and that after defining that ideal customer, avatar, whatever term you want to use, uh, your customer acquisition suddenly becomes very, very affordable. And now, I mean, when I was initially fussing with all this, you couldn't thin slice the way that you can do with, say, uh, you know, look-alike audiences on Facebook. So now it's like, if you want like this, the single mothers who are Christian who also barbecue, like, great, go for it. Like, you can do that on <laughs> yeah. who like the, you know the, the the Weber Grill barbecue page. Like, great, you can go after that. Uh, it's, I think it's never been easier uh, to tweak copy and do micro-testing like that to get your first small army 
of, of fans that you can target so closely that they tell 10 to 100 of their friends. So the, the kind of bigger thing of that that I'm also curious about is, we were talking about this, you were, you were named by Wired mm -hmm. the, the best self-promoter of all time. Voted, yeah. Voted, the best self-promoter <laughs> of all time. <laughs> by who, I don't right? know. And I'm sure there's some people in this room that might want to go head-to-head -head with you on that title too, right? And yeah. rightfully so. Yeah, sure. What is that? Is that a DNA thing, right? Is that is that something you felt you just had, or if you had? I mean, a lot of us are in the business yeah. of promoting our products, of getting users, getting people enjoying yeah. our products. What what makes you so exceptional about that? Why do you do it better than other people? <laughs> well, I hate the word self-promoter, but I'll take it if I can. If that's well, you what get I the word out. People people yeah. know about your message. They yeah. know about your your value. Yeah. Right? I, well, I, I think there are a couple of reasons for it. Uh, so the first is, <clears throat> let's see. Let me, let me try to think about this for a second. So so, so I always disclose, or I try to disclose when I'm talking about in a company that I've invested in, or that I advise. And sometimes people will say, well, of course you're promoting that company you invested in. And I'm like, well, that's not how it works, though. I fall in love with a product, then I invest in a company not the other way around. And because I don't make many asks of my audience, when I say, this is fucking awesome, you need to download it now, they do. Exactly people, I mean, people talk about your blog as literally launching books and projects. Yeah, can you share what the URL? Yeah, yeah it's fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out. You can find the podcast, the blog, et cetera. And the blog, I've broken every possible rule you can imagine on that blog. And So for example? This comes, uh, people say you have to post X number of times per week, this time of day, promote in this way. I've gone three or four weeks without putting up a new post. It doesn't matter. If you get those thousand true fans and people who will take a bullet for you or your message or your mission or your movement, you can break all those rules. And so it has you know, one and a half to two million uh, readers per month. And I think that because I don't barrage them incessantly with asks, uh, and I also provide a lot of free content, you know, almost 600 posts, that when I do make asks, they're very responsive. But I would just say, if, if I were to underline one thing for everybody, is mind your copy. Read, go review all of your website copy. Have, if you don't have good writers, you know, writer friends to review your stuff, find a lawyer, a lawyer friend, because lawyers hate ambiguous words. They hate unnecessary words. They are great, generally speaking, if they're uh, good at what they do, at helping you to refine your messaging, believe it or not. So those would be a few of the things uh, that I would say. In terms of self-promotion, the other thing, and I'm not sure if this applies to everyone in the audience, but it's worth mentioning, I get asked about personal brand a lot. I don't think about personal brand at all. I just don't bullshit, I don't, I try not to bullshit or lie, which means I'm surprisingly consistent, right? Because I don't have to remember stories that I've made up or, or positions that I've taken, like things that I've promised to promote because someone else is helping me, like I just don't really do that stuff. So. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go on Twitter drunk. I'll do this. I'll, like, I don't care. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So it's very hard for me to ruin my reputation because I don't really have one. <laughs> and uh, as such, people know what to expect from me. Therefore, they believe what I say. And uh, so to take something away from that, I would say, uh, you know, be a human, have a human interaction. Don't try to put on a big corporate face because it's very, I find, detrimental. You have to have big company policies in place when you get to that point an HR department and such, but you should still be able to maintain a very highly tactile human interaction. You don't always need that, but for most startups, I find that 
is one of the few advantages you have over the United Airlines of the world or the, 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 the massive companies that the incumbents you're trying to unseat, they don't take the time to add those touches like the Zappos of the world, which are very, why is Zappos so exceptional? It shouldn't be, yet it is. And uh, so I think you need to capitalize on the advantages that you have. Um, and being human, having human interaction is, is a very easy way to do that. Still, people are like, oh, podcasts, that's too late. I can't start, oh my God. You know, blogs, oh Jesus, too late. Twitter, that's too late. I need to get on the next thing, the next thing. It's like, no, almost everyone on all those platforms is still doing a shitty job because they're in so much, they're, they're in so much of a rush and they're stuck in their own echo chambers. So, so speaking, speaking of podcasts, we're gonna wrap up in a second, but can you, can you share with the folks what you got going with the new podcast and, and why that format was important to you and some of the cool stuff that's happening on it? Yeah, the podcast for me is a way to take my research I do for the books and put it out there for people to hear. So I would have these conversations with you know, the, the, these David Blaines of the world or Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's my next guest. Uh, that episode's coming out next week, which is gonna be amazing. Uh, and I always wanted to share it with my fans. So when I sit down and try to figure out why is you know, Peter Thiel or Tony Robbins, who've both been on the podcast, world-class at what they do, and what are the tools, tricks, resources that you know, everybody in this room can use to try to replicate what they do, uh, the long format is key. People say, oh, people are conditioned, ADHD, you know, 140 characters, bullshit. There is always a market for good quality long-form content, always. And um, Name so of the yeah. podcast. What's that? What's the name of the podcast? The name podcast? of the podcast Tim is The Tim Ferriss Show. Uh, you can go to fourhourworkweek.com, just click on podcast, and all the guests are right there. So I hope you check it out. And we're going to do a group 25-pound, uh, 24-hour weight loss session, right? That's the next thing, Mark, coming up? <laughs> is that what we got? Please join me in welcoming and thanking Tim. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah.